welcome to Lazarus Theatre Company's new podcast, Spotlight On, where we turn the spotlight on to reveal the people behind the scenes, those who make Lazarus work, the creatives, the artists, the process, the creation. Hello, I'm Gavin harrington Odidra, producer of Lazarus Theatre Company. And I'm Ricky Dukes, artistic director of Lazarus Theatre Company. Hi, Ricky. How are you doing? I'm good. Oh, I thought you were going to say, hello, Ricky, what's new with you, which is on the <laughs> script, which then I was going to go, what's new, Buenos Aires, just because I wanted to sing a bit of a Vita this morning. But, uh, you did that You did I, that one time before. That's why I thought I'd mix it I up. I, I'm, there's not much variance, as <laughs> listeners will know from seeing our work. It's, it's a variation of the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm very well, thank you. We've had a, an interesting week, haven't we? I keep, I feel like a bit like a, tit, a, a titter, a Twitter teaser. Um, because you know when people put on Twitter, oh, big announcement coming tomorrow, exciting project coming soon. And you think, just don't say anything until you're actually going to announce it. Mm. But I'm that person at the moment because we're, we're, we're sort of, um, listeners will might know a bit about, we're sort of looking at this huge new project that um, I can't really say anything about, so probably shouldn't <laughs> So, Another yeah, Twitter anyway. teaser. I'm a, I'm a titter Twitter teaser. Try saying that in the morning. Uh, mm. Yeah. So um, yeah, good. Uh, yes. How are yeah. you? I, I'm still wet from yesterday. I got caught oh. in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> My titter Twitter teaser. Well, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It was a massive, massive thunderstorm yesterday that I got caught in while I was cycling. From oh, my you vaccination. Review of my Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Because you ha- you went and had your doodah, didn't you? Yes, I had my first vaccination yesterday, which was uh, a very painless uh, experience, which is good. Um, a little bit worried about it, but I'm uh, I'm all okay. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Stand by, listeners. Yes. Might be direct from Gavin's sick bed. It but, might be. Might be. Yeah. <laughs> So, Ricky, this week we're talking to Lazarus alumni, theatre and architectural lighting designer, photographer and friend from Down Under, Rachel Smith. Rachel trained at the National Institute of Dramatic Arts in Sydney. Rachel first worked with Lazarus in 2012 as lighting designer for Euripides' Iphigenia and Aulis at the Jack Studio Theatre, then went on to work on our production of Sophocles' Oedipus at the Blue Elephant Theatre, our rep of Marlowe's Dido, Queen of Carthage and Shakespeare's King Lear at the Greenwich Theatre, and our Owl Scream Award winning production of The Tragedy of Mariam, all in 2013, a busy year. It was all going so well, then Rachel decided to move back to Australia, where she has now moved from theatre to architectural lighting design and is starting her own wedding photography company. Rachel, thank you for joining us and welcome to Spotlight On. Thanks, guys. Nice to see you. It's been a while. Long time ago. Yeah, it's been ages. Yeah, what is that? Eight years? That's crazy. Um, Yeah, and then I think I haven't seen you for maybe six years. I think we might have caught up. Yes, you you came back for a little visit, didn't you? Yeah, Yeah. and I was trying to think of when it was, and I think it was about six years ago, which is insane. So how have you been? What what you been doing? Oh, just a bit of this, bit of that. <laughs> um, I moved careers, changed careers into architectural mm-hmm. lighting, as you mentioned, um, which has been cool. Um, a bit more of a nine to five, which is pretty different to what we were doing in London. Yeah, so we were just talking as, as you came on the call, it's, you know, 10am in the morning here and it's 7am or 7.23 now probably, mm-hmm. at PM, sorry, uh, over there. 
and we were saying that this is far too early for us theatre theatre <laughs> theatreites. But you were saying this is you know six thirty in the morning. You're waking up now. How are you? How are you managing that? Well, as I mentioned, I have two dogs who oh. are one, so they're mental, and they. So we got our first dog a year ago yesterday and I was like, oh, that's a whole year of not having an alarm on because she just wakes me up every morning. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I see. So they're like, like young children then, are they? They are. They're seriously like children and I talk about them like they're my children. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All sorted. <laughs> um, so over here in London, we're just starting to have our third lockdown at ease. Um, theatres, uh, op- well, first theatre production started yesterday um, with socially distanced audiences. How have things been over there with with the pandemic over in Australia? What what's been going on, and how have, how have you managed it over there? Um, it's been pretty good. Not gonna lie. Um, I've been watching because I've got family in the UK and my partner's from the UK, so we've been watching what's been happening and talking to everyone. And in terms of how things have been over here, it's been fine. We had a lockdown for like what March to July maybe last year where I am so I'm in New South Wales so all the state borders shut so that's probably been the oh, and the international borders obviously um so that's been was weird because we'd have like one day you'd be allowed to cross state borders and the next day you wouldn't because they'd have an outbreak in that state um but we've been pretty lucky and then I live in a pretty it's not that little but it's like a country coastal town um so even in lockdown, like we could still do a lot of things, normal things, um, mm-hmm. except obviously go out to bars and restaurants and all that and theatre, um, all that stuff. But yeah, for me, like the only thing that really changed was I, well, I was meant to get married. That was, We were meant to get married three weeks before lockdown and all my partner's family were meant to come over from the UK. So that was the worst thing that happened so now we haven't seen his family for three years oh my gosh. um and then and my family meant to come over as well so that was pretty crazy and then like we postponed it to december so it went from april to december and then i think maybe like two months into lockdown we were like ah oh, nah that's we're not gonna have it in december um so now we don't know when we're having it but that's okay um but yeah so for us like it's been pretty good. Like we work from home, um, which I guess most people are doing. Um, we got a dog and we bought a house. So it has all, all that wedding money went into a house, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> so, and we were meant to go overseas. Like we went to go on honeymoon and stuff. So all that money, we're like, well, let's just buy a house. Right. Well, so, you know, pro- property's where it's at, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so, so. So working from home is something that is, is happening there more often. And so there has been changes to life in general. Yeah. So that people aren't, yeah. it's not, it's not the, the pandemic or, or COVID is not a thing. So life, life is changing a bit. It has changed. It's definitely changed. Um, but it started easing off probably. It's just, I guess it's just been weird in terms of um, the restrictions. We've still got quite a lot of restrictions, even though we don't, we essentially don't really have anyone with COVID in Australia only in hotel quarantine um so but it's weird like because I've a lot of friends that work in events so they like all their work obviously went um everyone kind of pivoted into different 
industries um and I think they probably all started working in like November last year so but still kind of everything's socially distanced sure. everything's a lot smaller you're not allowed to stand up you're not allowed to sing all that that kind of stuff right so you probably don't um, want a wedding at the moment anyway well no yeah so we were we're kind of okay with it we went okay. to our best friend's wedding um in november and we weren't allowed to dance or anything and it was a bit weird you oh, were allowed to like pick 20 people to dance and it was just awkward and what it was really weird pick, pick your best dancers <laughs> like seriously um okay yeah, well, maybe we should instigate that here as well when we open up the nightclubs only the best 20 dancers can dance <laughs> Uh, but then like we had, so then everything went back to normal. Like we were allowed to dance and sing and all that kind of thing um, in maybe Feb. And then I think we've had that for like maybe six weeks. And then recently we had another mini outbreak. So masks were back on and um, no dancing. But it sounds like that sounds like they're, um, it's not a, it's not a COVID podcast. So we will move on to other things, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> It's, it does sound like they're pretty, pretty on it, pretty co- conscious Very and, and cautious. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. So, okay, moving on. Um, Rachel, tell us how you became a lighting designer. Um, I started doing lighting stuff in school, um, but I've always like been, I guess, conscious of light and kind of how it makes you feel and how it will like attract you into a space or repel you like sometimes I won't go into a restaurant because it's leaked poorly um or like it's too bright and then in so in my final years of school like I didn't really know what I wanted to do I think I wanted to do too much stuff um and then I just did a course like one of my subjects was like backstage theater production um and then I had one of my dad's friends was a drum tech for the Kaiser Chiefs and they toured to Sydney and then I got to do the lighting for their support bands which was kind of cool and random um and yeah that's kind of how it started and then I tried out like I um applied for drama school so applied to NIDA and I got in and I was 17 I didn't really know what I was doing um and it all kind of went from there Okay. And, and what sort of work did you do in, in Australia before moving to London? Um, I was doing like event management for super random things like a ice skating festival. So they basically set up an ice rink on Bondi Beach, which like melted. Of course it did. <laughs> Yeah, that was the weirdest thing, like ice next to sea, like next to salt and sand. Anyway, um, and then that turned into an open-air cinema on Bondi Beach. So they were pretty cool things. But as like whilst I was doing those um, to pay the bills, I was doing like just um, independent theatre lighting on the side. But I think I was only working for like maybe 18 months before I moved to London. Uh, So what brought you to London then? Um, so I'd met my partner, like, as soon as I finished uni, I went to London for six months and then we moved back to Australia and then we went to London to kind of spend time with his family, but also just like, I've, cause I'm from the UK as well. So I just love, I guess, all the culture, the history, 
the architecture it's just so different to Australia like we don't have that much of that over here um and then just how close London is to the rest of Europe just we wanted to travel so and then yeah. what was it that took you back home was it was it the weather was it <laughs> what was it, it was. it was the weather <laughs> it was I couldn't handle it we had a really bad winter like I remember it snowed in April like I, I know it snowed this April I think but like I just couldn't handle it I'm I really the weather really affects my mood um I think light affects my mood um so yeah I just really was getting over it and we'd done um we'd done all the travel that we wanted to do and I think we both wanted to kind of we weren't working in like jobs we wanted to be working in so we both wanted to kind of get a bit more serious maybe and what I seem to remember while you were here you started talking about architectural lighting design while you were here is that right is that my memory yeah so I'd decided that I was going to do the course so I think I must have applied while I was there Mm -hmm. so I probably I think I caught up with you guys um we left London officially in the January but we'd been to India for three months before that so I think I caught up with you guys like the end of 2013 and I already knew that I was doing it then yeah okay um so we'll talk about lighting design as, as that's how we know each other for a while and then and we'll get into architectural uh, a little later um when you're designing the lights or lighting for productions what's your process or what was your process how did you kind of approach the approach the production and the play um I think it's pretty similar to architectural lighting I was thinking about it and it's kind of just, I think I would go in and look at the theatre. So look at what's there versus what's not there versus what's going to be there, like whether there's a set or um, kind of what lights are being supplied or not being supplied. Um, Looking at where the rigging points are, like thinking about the angles that we can achieve, all that kind of thing. I think that would probably be my first thing to look at. And then speaking to the director, finding out their style if you never worked with them, um, and then kind of gauging from them what their key moments are in the play, um, looking at where the play's set, whether we have a set design or not. Um, and then I think I'd just go on Pinterest and just look at images of light um, and whether that's like light occurring naturally in spaces um, like light in the outdoors or you know cool photos of light coming through trees or something Um, and then also just looking at other theatre productions and getting inspiration from those and then just going to lots of rehearsals as many rehearsals as you can get to and just chatting and then I think also um, I really enjoyed theatre because you can just, if it's not working, you can just get up a ladder and move the light or, you know, just put a gel in it or dim it, something. It's like super simple, whereas in architectural lighting, if you stuff it up, you've stuffed it up. Like, that's it. It's built. Yeah, it's built into the plans. It's built into the design. That, that yeah. building is that building, right? It's a lot of money. <laughs> Make a mistake. Yeah. Well, let's not do any of those. Then no. Be fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, do you remember when we first met? 
I do. I do have a really bad memory, um, (laughs) just in general. But I do remember we met in the Broccoli Jack. Is that right? Yeah, we met in the Broccoli Jack and we were, I was having um, meetings with potential lighting designers. Yeah. And so we were in the theatre. Yeah. 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 I think I I must have known that you were seeing, meeting other people that day because I remember being really nervous. And I don't think I thought that you were going to get me in. Well, I, I thought I felt we got on really well. So yeah, no, I <laughs> but I think I because I'd been in London for a while, like I think I'd been there for six months before anything really kicked off. So I think I was just, you know, hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. Sure. Um, yeah, but it worked well, out. It worked out. Yeah. yeah. And you worked <laughs> on four, four or five productions in like in the span of two years, it's about yeah. a year and a half, really. Um, yeah. yeah, pretty prolific in that, in that time. Um, almost all of our productions were, were lit by Rachel Smith. Yeah, was, it was pretty was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you got to work on some uh, very varied pieces as well and in very different theatres. Um, mm. So the first production you worked on was Euripides' Iphigenia and Aulis uh, at the Jack Studio Theatre in 2012. Um, so that was where we met. That's why we were meeting that time. Um, what do you remember about that production and about, about the process? Um, I think the main thing that stands out is how you kind of embraced being able to see the lights and seeing the rigging points. Like I think we had like side booms. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, yeah, cool, that's fine. Like most people want to hide all that stuff. Um, and then I think we had a light. Do we have a light right at the back in the um, in like the cupboard, I guess? Yeah. Like the, yeah. And then we had the smoke machine in there, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just remember being like, wow, these guys are cool. Like they're just letting me do what I want, and they don't want heaps of color and. Yeah, there was no colour in that production. Yeah. There was colour in the production, just no colour in the lighting of the production. Yeah. It was all, all about open white and the ambers that you can get from dim, dimly lit lamps, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was about, about the shapes that we could make both with the lights and with the people, I think. It's quite, yeah. Um, we, we did quite physical things with that production. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of, let's see how many shadows we can get and still see, see people. Yeah, exactly, which most directors are kind of too scared to do. I think, um, which, and I feel like that was the, well, it's first production we did, but it was first production I'd ever done where the light was almost like a part of the set. Like it wasn't just a add on at the end. It was. Yeah. I think it's really important because we don't use big set pieces. We don't use flats and, and build naturalistic sets. The, the lighting is really important as well as the, 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 the haze or the fog or the smoke or whatever, whatever it is we're using for that production to get the effects. It's really, really is important for kind of building the world because that is all that the audience are going to see. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So then we moved on to uh, 2013 where you did a lot of productions. Um, the first we did was Oedipus's, sorry, Sophocles's uh, Oedipus at the Blue Elephant Theatre. Um, so very different space, um, very different production. What do you remember of that? Um, that that was the one where he had the thorns. So he he blinded himself at the end yeah. of the production. Yeah. Um, 
I feel like I don't remember much about that production. So they were all in camo. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> for a spoiler alert for anyone who who doesn't know Oedipus, um, he marries his mother and uh, blinds himself. Um, I because that. he met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find images of the plays and um, that we did together, and I think that one was pretty similar. Like we had we must have used side booms again right yeah. and just kind of kept the light like very low and atmospheric um yeah very very similar in in um in kind of staging as well there was kind of a central playing area and in Iphigenia we marked it out with very clearly defined um paint you know we painted the floor it was yeah. all very um 1910s sort of uh, atmosphere um and then uh, Oedipus was much more modern, but it still had had that kind of central area where 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 the action was taking place. But everyone was still on stage, so we didn't want to hide that either. Mm. Yeah. And then and then we moved to the Greenwich, so Greenwich Theatre, which is where we're now resident. Um, very big jump uh, in terms of playing space, size, height, depth. Um, you know, something like fourteen meters wide, ten meters deep. Um, and we did Dido, Queen of Carthage, and Shakespeare's King Lear, and they were two massively different productions. Do you yeah. remember much from 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 doing that? Do you remember what that was like? Yeah, I do. I do remember the Greenwich. Um, yeah, I think because we did them in Brab, didn't we? We did, yeah. Yeah, so it was just that kind of trying to make them feel different with the limited resources that we had, um, which I think we did a pretty good job of. I think they're massively main, different, yeah. Yeah. My main um, memories of Dido was the umbrella scene. Mm -hmm. And then I think in Leah, the, we had like four lights like right at the back mm -hmm. in the middle and just the backlight. And again, just not being scared to not show faces and mm. just kind of create like this amazing set but just with light and haze my overriding memory of the the lighting of both of those was that dido seemed very warm very kind of amber and warm and then and lear was very stark and cold yeah. were they this in terms of kind of rigging uh lights for two separate productions that have, have very different feels were they all the same lights did we did we use the same lights or were, the, were you kind of getting those effects from different lights i think we use different lights but say if there was a part of the stage that we needed to light with say like a dido specific light for Leah, we would have just nudged that up a little bit just to get a bit of light on the face or in that area to direct the attention mm -hmm. over there but I think I like I remember we picked kind of this is going to be for died because the like the kind of angles and the location of the lights were quite specific um and they were quite on show I think that we just decided these are for this production these will be for this production mm -hmm. um and I think with Leah we kept everything quite low mm as well um yeah and just got a lot of like side light and shadows that way 
how did you how did you cope with um so you said earlier that you know with, with theater lighting you can just get a ladder up and and you know change the angle or change the change the lamp with the greenwich you got, it's not really possible you, you've got the you, you've got these 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 massive bars that come in and out but once they're set they're set how how did that work I remember just, you know, you just want to move that light like a tiny bit to the left. Like it's just not hitting it right. I remember, you know, wanting to move things, but you just kind of have to make do with the way that you've done it. That that telescope only comes out once, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, And and did you have to do more prep for for a rep because you had to get these you know you said limited resources and the Greenwich just there you know Greenwich Theatre's kit isn't limited in terms of you know for one production but when you're doing two productions that's kind of a massive ask did you have to do a lot more prep or is it just like what get in there and see what we've got and make, make it work yeah I think a bit of both so it's just kind of getting in there seeing what we've got and then just making decisions on this is going to be for this this is going to be for that um and then just picking out those key moments and the bits that we really wanted to I guess use lighting um more like if there were you know like that umbrella moment um we really wanted to highlight those umbrellas and kind of create that moody shadow on Dido's face um so it's moments like that like just pick that's what these lights are for and we're not gonna compromise We'll make it work with what we've got in the other rigging points. Sure. And for for listeners who don't know uh, what uh, Rachel's talking about with the with the umbrella shot, if you look at the um, cover of our twenty twenty one calendar, you'll see that's the image that that Rachel's talking about. It's it's the beautiful Alice Brown uh, with an umbrella, and she's just beautifully backlit with these lovely um, amber lights and and haze coming out from, from the burning of, of uh, Carthage. Um, so then, then we did uh, Tragedy of Marin, which was part of the Camden Fringe, uh, first play to ever be written by a woman and published under her own name. We did the first production of it um, at the Tristan Bates Theatre. Uh, again, very different size and shape theatre and feel theatre to you know, the Broccoli Jack, the Blue Elephant and the Greenwich. Do you remember much of, of that production? Yeah, because that was in rep with other shows in the That's fringe, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think that was probably the most challenging and then the one that I was least not happy with, but it was we couldn't really have any specials and I think the other shows weren't as kind of, I don't know what we, like stylistic as our kind of, look um yeah so I remember that was pretty hard like I think I went in being like okay can we have lights here here and here and they were like no you've got the set rig that's it these are the the colors and the rig as well and the colors um which like I I do like color sometimes but I think I'm I like a lot more um like natural colors like just warm whites and cool blues um yeah, so that was a bit, I guess, disappointing, to be honest. Um, but I still, I think we made it work. I think it still looked good. Yeah, I think so. I think so. 
Um, and yeah, the production shots are great with, with with some of those colors. Not normally our style, but you know, we made it work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Were we allowed a hazer in that one? Yes. Yeah. We yeah. <laughs> okay. poor poor Steve McNeese like um, was in the back corridor for three quarters of the play, and he was in there pumping smoke whenever we needed it. Um, and he, you know, couldn't see. He had no lights on. Um, they were just waiting, waiting for his entrance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yes, we definitely had A's for that production. We haven't done a production with you that we, where we weren't allowed or haven't haven't chosen to use A's. I don't think. Yeah. It's always been there. Yeah. Yeah. Love a bit of haze. Yes, it's always good. Always good. Um, so uh, you've made the move into architectural lighting design. Um, can you kind of just t tell us what that means or what that means to you? What What is architectural lighting design? Yep. Um, so it's basically what I work in now is um, we work with interior designers and architects um, to light spaces. And we, I work in kind of the commercial space so I do a lot of offices but kind of the fun part of an office um like the breakout spaces the lobbies in big commercial towers so we're working in um in Circular Quay in Sydney like right where the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House is there's um a new tower going in and we're doing all the lobby spaces and then we're doing like a 17 floor office fit out um and then we're doing all the um, the lighting in the precinct surrounding as well. And there's a bit of artwork in there that we're lighting. Um, and then just other kind of areas we work in is say like in airports and train stations. Um, but then we can also do smaller little fit outs like hotels and um, not really like little bars because they wouldn't really employ um, line designers to do that. But in, um, I guess, like probably in bars and restaurants that are adjoining hotels, part of hotel complexes. Um, yeah, so it's pretty, pretty different, mm -hmm. but still the same, I guess, idea. And and, still and maybe this is different per company or per job or, or lighting designer, but what's the purpose of architectural design? Is it, is it just to light the space? Is it light people? Is it to kind of highlight certain aspects of, of the space? Is it to create a mood? What, what, what is the, you know, what's going on? Yeah, kind of all of the above. So um, we, I guess, firstly look at how to enhance the architecture with light. So if that's, we, I guess, try and not use downlights. Um, so if it's integrating architect integrating lighting into the architecture in coves or in like under benches if you're outside um even like just putting in like floor lamps or pendants um and then so it's kind of layering the light so you provide the functional lighting so people can see in the space provide the architectural accent lighting and then um and like if there's any artwork or 
special features that the architects want to highlight. Um, and then I guess all that comes together to create the mood mm-hmm. of the space. Um, and also it's picking like the color of like the color temperature of the lighting. Um, it's quite technical. Like I didn't think it would be as technical. I feel like in theater, I just used to be like, yeah, cool. This has got a diffuse beam. We'll use that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this is like, you know, you're looking at the output, the the CRI, which is how well the light renders color within a space. Um, the beam angles, yeah, all that kind of thing, the longevity of it, because a lot of LED these days is pretty crap. Um, and then we last like a year or whatever before it can get too hot. But really, I thought LEDs were the, were the future. Well, they are, but you can get <laughs> cheap LED and then you can get good LED. Um, yeah, and like the efficiency of lighting too. So yeah, yeah um, do you have to do you have to think much about um, light pollution if you're talking about the outside spaces and stuff like that? that that's something that some some councils are quite um, quite hot on now. Do, is that something that comes up over there? Yeah, so. Um, because that's another part of lighting is um, adhering to the standards. So there's a light pollution standard. Um, it just depends. I've been working a lot recently in the city, so there's not as much of a need, say, like to minimise lighting going into people's windows. Um, but we do think about light pollution in terms of kind of contributing to sky glow. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really have that much. Oh, it, it can get pretty bad in Australia, but it's not as bad as Europe. Um, and then also thinking about lighting at night and how it affects animals. Um, and like, say, if it's near the water, it can affect like, I don't know, there might be some rare species of turtle or something in the water that that extra light's going to change the ecosystem. So you have to do ecological surveys and everything. A little bit. We um, there was a a site. I didn't actually work on it, but it was in the harbour. And then across from this site in the harbour, there was this like species of micro bat, and they had to look at minimising light pollution because then all the the insects would be kind of attracted Drawn, to the space, right. and then yeah, just change the ecosystem. Right. That's interesting. Um, so, so actually you thought you were just getting into a fun little, you know, I get to light some buildings, but actually it's a lot of paperwork then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think I knew what I was getting myself into. I think I thought it was more like a lot of facade lighting and like, um, less, I guess, commercial. Like I wanted to do kind of bars and cool spaces like that, but, um, yeah, they don't employ lighting designers really. Got to be an interior designer. You'd have to be an interior on the payroll of an interior designer, too, yeah. which is still possible, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But you've got this great job now. Um, <laughs> so I, I was thinking about your lighting in in our productions and I and 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 how we were talking about angles and and doing lots of low lighting and and using lighting as as the set or as the kind of atmospheric um, creator. So I thought, you know, maybe actually you could describe your lighting design as quite architectural. Um, first of all, would you agree with that? Is that how you would maybe think about it? Or would it at least uh, fit 
uh, a description you would use. Uh, and then is that what kind of drew you on to, to, to actually moving into architectural writing design? Um, I think I've never thought about it like that, but I think you could describe it like that. I think the one thing that my architectural line designs miss out on is all the haze. Like imagine if there was just haze everywhere all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those beams of light. Yeah, exactly. Like that's one thing that I miss. Um, but I think I was just drawn into it. I think that like one thing that I always struggled with in theatre was kind of how ephemeral it is. Like it's never the only thing you can take away is the photos, um, which is maybe then why I really like photography as well because it's capturing that moment forever. Um, yeah, so I think that one thing that I really am enjoying about my job now is I can look around the city and be like, oh, yeah, I worked on that project and that's going to last for hopefully like, you know, 50 plus years. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see just how people interact in the space, how they react in the space, um, which is, it's very similar to theatre. Do, do you ever do what we used to do and kind of like sit in the back of the audience or, you know, go into the building and kind of see how people react and interact with, with the lighting? Yeah, I think um, it's... It, <laughs> part of the thing about lighting is that if it's good people don't necessarily notice it it's more if it's bad that people are like oh like um but yeah like we did a it was one of the most intense and drawn out jobs that I've worked on but we did um like eight train stations in Sydney which sound really boring but the architecture was amazing Mm -hmm. um and then they had lots of art pieces within them which were all, all had integrated lighting um and that is something that I'm really proud of like the way that people walk in and they actually do look up and they're like they don't I don't think they realize that it's lit but that's kind of the point um they're these big timber leaf structures that are all uplit um yeah so I do I spy on people <laughs> uh, you heard it here first um, yeah. <laughs> um, something that uh, we at Lazarus have been looking into and, and kind of talking about for uh, for a while now and certainly has been brought to our attention over the last um, 18 months is um, access in theatre so making theatre more accessible and, and how integrating access so whether that be you know lighting that of the auditorium that allows people to be less freaked out by being in there or or the lighting um, kind of being uh, different for uh, relaxed performances. Does that come into the work that you do as well, accessibility and, and making spaces accessible for people? Um, it does in a, I guess, in a different sense. So the company that I work with do a lot of research and they have been looking at making spaces around the city more accessible for kind of women and children and um, I guess minority groups that might not necessarily want to walk around at night by themselves. Um, so we've been looking at how it's not always people kind of assume that lighting that lots of light is a good thing um but that's not always the case so we kind of talk about lighting surfaces within a 
outdoor space say like if you're in a park if you can kind of light the trees or light the um like if there's any nice feature walls or anything like old buildings within the park um kind of like stuff like that which lifts the ambience of the space and then instead of having big glary pole lights it's more you know low level bollards or something that just light the pathway um because they one of the girls who works in our melbourne office she ended up stumbling across an app which um people it was in melbourne i think it was in melbourne sydney and then three other cities in the world like lima and another two i can't remember but um basically people could um drop a pin and then say what they felt when they were in this location so they dropped the pin on the location they'd either write like I felt safe for these reasons or I felt unsafe for these reasons. So she took away um, all the findings basically and anywhere that they'd mentioned lighting, she went and analysed the space and kind of created this metric for why spaces could potentially feel unsafe due to the lighting. Um, So, yeah, I guess in that sense we're looking at making spaces more accessible and it's kind of about changing the standards is at the moment outdoor lighting is all like just meeting a standard like a lighting target and that's it don't you know put too much thought into anything else so the the company that you work for their website if you go to um one of the pages it has a video about about this um and it talks about um councils are lighting lighting the streets for the cars they're not lighting them for for the general public or the population so is that is that kind of what you're talking about kind of changing those those standards that the council require yeah yeah so we have Australian standards and then we'll have council kind of local standards so for example the city of Sydney have like a really high light level requirement um, and certain lights that you can use which are super glary and just kind of ruin the space whereas if you kind of use something that was a bit more subtle and architectural maybe just lighting the walls or less of the street you'd feel a bit and warmer a warmer color temperature mm-hmm. make you feel a bit more welcome So while we were preparing for this uh, chat, you said that you've started moving into wedding photography as well. Um, how's that going? Yeah, good. Um, I've photographed three weddings, I think, with a friend um, as her second shooter. But then I've started taking photos of friends. Um, so it's really fun. Like I was editing some photos of a shoot that I did with um, like an old friend and his wife and their two kids. And the whole time I was just like smiling because it was just like it was a fun afternoon and they were having fun and they looked like they were having fun. And um, I think it's we were doing we were chasing the sunset. So, again, like photography is all about lighting. Um, And I was trying to like snap as many photos as I could with the sun behind them and kind of getting this beautiful glowy light coming in. 
but also then trying to make sure that you know you can actually still see their face in the photos and um kind of capture their emotions in the photos but Mm -hmm. yeah it's good wedding photography is pretty fast paced um but yeah it's fun i'm a second shooter so if i stuff it up it doesn't (laughs) (laughs) i mean i try really hard of course of course before we um before we started recording you were talking about um the first job you did um how did that go (laughs) Well, if my friend listens to this, she, no, she knows. So she let me practice on her like really nice camera before we got to like, you know, a week before. And um, I was feeling pretty confident. I um, I didn't have my own camera at this point. And then on the day she gave me her kind of, it's only like the model down, you know, from what she had. And she hadn't used it in years. And then she's like, go just go take some photos like the dress and you know just kind of ease into it and um all the girls are getting ready so it was pretty pretty relaxed setting but um I was taking photos on this camera and in the setting that we'd been practicing in in Aperture Priority for anyone that takes photos and they were just so overexposed and I didn't know what I was doing wrong so I just I ended up having to shoot the whole wedding in auto mode because she didn't know what I was doing either which is kind of good for the first wedding. It was good that she didn't care because um, if she cared, like I would have, well, we would have been, you know, I don't know what we would have done. You would have been at odds. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't <laughs> have been doing the third, second and third shoot. Exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I've since got my own camera. So I've been practicing. And you've worked out how to, you know, how, what all the dials do. Yeah, because I did, I used to do photography like years ago, but I haven't had my own DSLR for like 10 years. So yeah, it's been a while. And what are, what are the transferable skills or how does, how does, you said, you know, you're, it's all about photography, good photography is about the lighting. How, how do you kind of transfer, well, I make the lighting of a theatre production into I chase the light of, of, for photography? I think like it's still pretty similar in the sense that you're and I guess in the way that we used to like I used to light shows with you guys it was a lot of single beams or lights from just one side of the stage um so I guess in that sense it's just using the sun like the sun's obviously always in the one spot or it's moving slowly down um so it's just finding that angle where you actually get the sun in the right spot where you, like if it's you know using the sun to hit the like the light hitting the trees in the background making it really kind of that I don't know how you say it, bokeh bokey effect um like that really glowy beautiful like dappled light effect in the background um or if it's using the light to get a if you wanted to get a harsh sunlight on their face so it's kind of about I guess moving your subjects if you're doing like an actual shoot or if it's in a wedding it's you've got to know where the sun is to move around and get that angle. Don't you ever just want to get up a ladder and move the sun? (laughs) (laughs) I do or just pause it you just stop right there it looks really good right now. Um, so the wonderful Adam Trigg, who um, you'll probably remember from rehearsal and uh, production shoots, um, he's also an amazing wedding photographer. Uh, do you think there's something that draws someone like you and him to both theatre and weddings? Yeah, I think it's it's just telling a story. It's just 
you know, it's whether it's someone's wedding day um, or it's a theatre show. It's kind of, for me, it's just using a light to tell a story, which the only difference is that you can take away your photos at the end of it, um, which, I, yeah, I kind of enjoy. I guess they're both ephemeral events, aren't they? They're both events that happen once. And of course, yeah. production might happen, you know, have 30 productions, but that one performance is once. So, so yeah, so maybe that's it, that kind of capturing the ephemeralness that you were missing, what you were, you were, you were saying that was the downfall of theatre for you or the, the detriment of theatre. Um, yeah. And why you moved into something a bit more uh, solid as buildings. So yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's the kind of that storytelling, but also that the one-time event thing. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, and just even like doing a family shoot, like, you know, I shot my friend's six-month-old baby and, you know, in a month's time, she's going to have changed so much mm-hmm. already. So just, you know, capturing that moment in time and they can look back on those photos and, and just remember that random morning that their friend made them go play in the autumn leaves. Move them around in the sun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, Rachel. So here we go. It's time to oh, hand God. over to Ricky. It's okay. It's okay. It's time to hand over Ricky for the 60-second challenge. Okie dokie. The rules are simple. Uh, they're so simple. I'm going to read them out. Uh, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. The idea is that you answer, answer as many as you can in sec- 60 seconds. You can pass but the passes will not add to your final score. It's all very, very serious, isn't it? Um, We'll add your score to the leaderboard to see who the overall winner is. And at the time of the recording, listeners, uh, this episode... uh, I'm going to do that again, Gavin. At the time (laughs) of the recording, this episode, the highest score is 19. 19, what I tell you. Uh, Oh, my God. Yeah, no pressure. Um, Which is a title held by Fred Thomas, Mr Thomas, who was uh, from our Macbeth company uh, in 2020. Okay, we have Gavin on the clock with his banjo of dreams. That's his banjo of dreams. He will strum his said banjo of dreams to let us know when the 60 seconds is up. Rachel, are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) 60 seconds on the clock. Start the clock. Has it started? Yes. Ah, horror or romance? Oh, horror. Movies or theatre? Theatre. What's your favourite word? Um, light. What's your party trick? Um, oh, I don't know, pass. (gasps) Tea or coffee? Coffee. Where's your happy place? Uh, The beach. Too hot or too cold? Too hot. Sweet or savoury? Sweet. What are you currently reading? Um, oh, The Kite Runner. Oh, cake or biscuit? Cake. What's the first theatre production you ever saw? Uh, I think The Lion King musical. Would you ever return to theatre lighting design? Um, maybe, yeah, with you guys. Dogs or cats? Dogs. What was your first job? Uh, bakery assistant. <laughs> I think that we need another three seconds because you stalled <laughs> on that, Ricky. <laughs> it, it's a live ephemeral event, Rachel. That's the problem. But, uh, that's the wonderful thing about it as well. Yeah, and also, oh, I'm blaming Zoom. 
because <laughs> because when uh, the, the the screen is shared, all of my windows just move. <laughs> yeah, that's the I'm technology, Rachel. Technology. <laughs> window on my screen. Oh God, Ricky. Uh, how many do you think you got, Rachel? Oh, not definitely not nineteen. Um, maybe like eight. Oh no, actually, you did far better than that. Oh. I can tell you, you answered fourteen questions. Ah, oh, well done. So, awesome. uh, where does that put her on the board? Obviously, well, let, let me find out. Let me find yeah. out. Um, I don't have this prepared at all, so I'm going to have to quickly <laughs> jump well, in here. Definitely not in the lead, but definitely not the last. No, you are. No, you're right in the middle. You're right in the oh, middle. Awesome. Yep, yeah, you're you're <laughs> middle middle equal with Lausanne Van Overbeek. There you go. Oh, awesome. I've always wanted to be in the middle. <laughs> yes. I just didn't want to be last. <laughs> Don't worry. You're not last. You're not last. That's, that's shared by four different people. They're all sharing last. So, uh, yeah, I won't, I won't say that. Anymore. No one's a loser here. <laughs> no, Everyone's no. a winner. It's always about taking part. That's that thing. Exactly. And uh, yes, so, but, so I snuck in a naughty one there. Would you ever go back to theatre design? And um, <laughs> we've got it on tape now. Yeah. Uh, not that we're yeah. Okay on tape anymore but uh, you know what I mean uh, it's on the record so uh, we'll just have to get the diaries out get you a flight get sort, sort Covid out and yeah. um, just a couple of bits of bobs and we'll get you back easy done well a huge thank you huge thank you to Rachel for joining us today it's been fantastic to talk to you um, tell us how your, our listeners can find you on social media um, they can find me at on Instagram, um, it's just at We Are Wild Photography. Um, please follow me. I don't have any followers, so you know. We'll all follow you. We'll all follow you. <laughs> it's a bit looking sad. at those lovely photos. <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week with another Spotlight on podcast. Until then, find out how you can get creative and get involved with our year of exploration by checking out our Facebook page, Twitter profile at Lazarus Theatre and bits and, bobs on our, bits and bobs on our Instagram at Lazarus Theatre. All the details can be found on our website, www.lazarustheatre.com. I've been Gavin harrington Redditra. And I've been Ricky Dukes. Until next time, stay safe and stay well. Bye. Lazarus Theatre Company is a not-for-profit organisation that relies on the generous support of our friends, angels and principal supporters. If you wish to support this podcast or any of the work Lazarus Theatre Company is doing, you can visit the Lazarus Supporters page on our website, lazarustheatre.com forward slash Lazarus hyphen supporters, or you can send any amount to paypal.me forward slash Lazarus Theatre. Every bit counts. You have been listening to the Spotlight On podcast hosted by Ricky Dukes and Gavin Harrington Odedra, produced by Lazarus Theatre Company. The music you've been listening to is composed by Bobby Locke and is from our 2016-2017 production of the Caucasian Chalk Circle by Bertile Brackton.